Welcome to 2 Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Boston College 31-21. I was really pissed off after the game, Robbie. How are you feeling today? Uh, better. Uh, time heals all wounds. It's usually uh, uh, the way I go about these types of things. Um, I was not very happy about uh, the, the game and, and how it played out. I was... Um, I, 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 I vented on Twitter and then I shut down my Twitter and did not respond to anything like kind of after the uh, game, which was probably good, but it was not, uh, it was, it was yeah, not was very good. Yeah, I was in the good. same boat. It was, was not very good boat. during the game. <laughs> All right, man, give us a cheers and kick it off. Uh, cheers to second chances. So uh, we recorded an entire podcast episode uh, last night, and we spent we a bunch of time. Both of us have working jobs, lives. I have a child. You are trying engaged and trying to get married, and uh, somehow our my quality on my side completely s the bed. So we are. This is how dedicated we are. We're recording an entire episode. Again again because it was that bad we've never had to do that before i uh, know yeah, it's happened yes it, it's happened before um we've only had one episode that we lost but we didn't re-record it i know well i guess that's true we didn't re-record that so that's even this is just even showing in uh whatever year four or whatever we're in of all of this that uh after a, a few very very disheartening losses that we're still that dedicated <laughs> we're trying cheers man cheers yeah it's kind of funny going back to back uh i think it'll be a little bit cleaner tonight than it was last night but we'll find out let's hop into the news and notes the basketball team is kicking things off this friday they actually already played a game against liberty and an exhibition and they won 86 to 70 justin robinson had 20 points Uh, four of threes went into those 20 points nine assists and five rebounds it was a nice effort. Uh, some guys that you weren't expecting to see, including a freshman named Wilkins, and they will start the season on Friday night against Gardner-Webb. That should be an easy matchup, but you just never know these days. <laughs> well, who was it we lost against? It was like Alabama State or something. What was something the- yeah, I think it was Alabama State. <sighs> yeah, um, and just like going back. Two or three years ago. Yeah. Kick off the season. Let's um, just get a W and then move on with the rest of the season is all I'm hoping for there. <laughs> right. And it's a little bit tougher to get that W now that Chris Clark has been suspended indefinitely from the team. We don't know the reasons why, but that is a big blow. He was our best rebounder and a senior and going to be a big factor, especially since he finally had like a healthy offseason. So I was expecting big things from Chris. And to lose him at this point, it's a big blow. Yeah, and uh, it's unfortunate. I don't know what that's going to end up meaning for us in 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 you know totality for the season. I think we still have a really deep, experienced group. Um, but you know, he was one of our big guys, and we're not <laughs> we're not exactly overwhelming yeah. in size uh, by any stretch of the imagination uh, in comparison to what we're seeing around the rest of the ACC. Yeah, he was one of our big guys in quotes, you know, cause he yes. isn't even that big, but yeah, he, he was an aggressive player. And the one thing I'll say is when he went down two years ago in the UVA game, we ended up pulling that game out without him and then going on a bit of a tear. Ty outlaw was hitting threes. We played Wisconsin in the tournament very competitively and Wisconsin did some damage in that tournament. It could be good for our floor spacing, uh, to have outlaw in more and have guys like Nikhil Alexander Walker yeah. shooting from beyond the arc. Uh, because sometimes Chris on offense isn't the most valuable players, but he's a good passer, a good rebounder, and he will be missed. And he could be back with the team. This is a suspension. He's not kicked off. So maybe come ACC play, he'll be back. I don't know. And yeah. I don't think you do either. Yeah, I don't think we know. And after Duke, uh, I think Duke just rolled in Alabama last night on uh, Kentucky. So uh, we uh, it may not matter in the ACC very much or, or in, in the Duke tournament. looks dangerous. I was trying to watch that game, so we were trying to get a recording in last night before it finished, and we did. And when I tuned in, it was just like bombs away from Duke, man. You dunk after dunk and moves in the lane. And they have three top five picks probably in the NBA draft. Like, the three guys on Duke could go one, two, three in the draft. Yeah, it looked uh, looked that good. But, uh, yeah, they might be the Alabama this year. We'll see what happens. 
Last thing on basketball, Landers Nolly, there was an eligibility issue. He did not play in the exhibition. I'm hoping this is the last time I have to talk about eligibility or dismissals or suspensions or injuries even for the basketball team or the football team because I'm so tired of this type of stuff. Something having to do with the class, I'm hoping that gets sorted out sooner than later as well. Um, I don't know if you have any further comments on that, but I can move on to the football injuries (laughs) where Watts broke his arm in the last game. He went out early. Xavier Burke hurt his Achilles, and Hewitt Rivers and Ashby did not play. Farley is questionable for this week coming up. We are banged up. This has been just a war this season for our defensive players. Yeah, a war this season in terms of uh, you know what's happened this season, what we lost in the offseason, and then what we lost after last year in, in terms of what went to the NFL. Uh, we, I mean, we've we've gone through probably you know by my count. Yeah, we're we're down it's, twelve starters, probably something along those. We're going to start our eighteenth different player against Pitt on defense. Yeah, so and um, that will be Javon Quillen because he hasn't technically started the game; he's been a backup. So he'll be the eighteenth different player to start on defense. Yeah, so uh, that's not good. <laughs> no, it's not for a defense that was already you know had its problems going into the year, no experience, and then you take that. And you lose seven starters. So it's it's pretty unbelievable. Um, I'm hoping that we see that same inspired performance we saw last weekend because we had just as many guys off the field last weekend and they came to play. So hopefully we'll see a good performance out of the D again and we'll get into that a little bit later. I wanted to bring up the college football playoff rankings. The top four were Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Michigan in that order. Georgia and Oklahoma just on the outside. As for the other ACC teams that are ranked, Syracuse all the way up at number 13, NC State at 14, and BC, the team that just beat us, at number 17. So all and there's a few ACC teams in there, but they're all from the Atlantic. Where's WVU? That's that's what I mean. I think they're at, are they at 7 or 9? No, they're at 9. They're, they were 7 AP poll. I think they came in at 9. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the podcast and you heard the, the, that coverage of uh, – I have a – I have a large, uh, I'll be eating a lot of, uh, I guess, in my shoe, or I will be on uh, doing the Rocky uh, at the uh, at the museum on the top of the steps and one or the other. There's no in between. Yeah, Rock, uh, Robbie predicted that West Virginia would make the playoff <laughs> potentially this year, and um, that was when Don was on the podcast. And the very next weekend, they lost to Iowa State. Well, they've <laughs> rebounded quite nicely. Everybody loses at Iowa State. I mean, that's just the only. They don't go to Iowa State. They're basically, yeah. then you're in trouble. So we'll see. The last thing I wanted to mention is that Robbie and I will be in Blacksburg for the Miami game in a week and a half, and I'm very excited about it. That's going to be great, man. We're sitting in your seats, so we get a little club level action, maybe a few beers. Yeah, well, the beer situation up there is nice. Uh, unfortunately, you can't take the beers down to your seats. Um, you can you have to drink them up there. So we might be inside uh, probably drinking for the whole game, depending on how the game's going. <laughs> and it could be very cold, so that inside option would be nice. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm excited. Um, I'm hoping this week gives me something to be more excited about. You know, potentially it doesn't really matter as much. Really, the pit game and the UVA game are going to be what decides things. But... Um, yeah, we still want to see us uh, come around, and Miami's always a big game. I mean, every every time we play them. Even if we lose to Pitt, at least we can get excited about PKs and Tots. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we get to we get some of our favorite places, and a trip back to back to Blacksburg is always uh, amazing. So, let's hop into the game recap. This game, I felt like it was a winnable game, and early on. We really seemed to take control. BC did score first, but we turned right around, got the jump ball to Hazleton, tied the game at 7-7. Kuma then got in on the action with his own sideline jump ball touchdown. That was set up by the swing pass to Peoples and back-to-back on-target slants by Willis, who was dealing early. Unfortunately, that's when our offense shut it down for the day. We failed to score on our next nine drives, BC scored the next three touchdowns and went up 28-14 to with less than nine minutes in the game. We tried to fight back, had a 10-play, 75-yard drive capped with a TD pass to Trey Turner. That was when Willis came back into the game. 
but it wasn't enough. BC added a field goal, and we had a drive, if you want to call it that, at the end of the game, but it ended 31-21, to and we lost. Like I said earlier, I was really upset after the game, and it was mainly due to the offensive performance. I think everybody recognized what happened in that game, and most people recognize that it was on the offense, especially when you look at what we fielded in terms of defense. And that's not in terms of talent. It's in just in terms of reps, experience, and who you would actually be starting. So um, it was a it, it, knowing and putting all the factors into place, it was a lights-out performance for the defense this week. It was not the, against Georgia Tech, um, and the offense really decided not to sustain an entire kind of, uh, you know, four quarters. Yeah. The turning point in the game, I would say was the Cunningham personal foul, which ultimately led to the fumble on the bot snap. That was when hooker was in the game for a play. And then there was another drive or maybe those were on two different drives. I don't know. There were two drives right before the half. And that was the turning point. We were up at 14 to seven. Either one of them could have resulted in a touchdown or a field goal. And we could have taken a more commanding lead, but we failed to score on both of those. And then the next seven drives in a row, there were six drives in a row that went for four plays or less and three straight drives coming out of the half were three and outs. Yeah, it was. um, And then, and then the the pen, it was not even just the penalties. And this has actually plagued us for a lot of the season. It's just penalties at really inopportune times. And really costly times, you know, it's a, it's a third and five and we convert and the team's got momentum and there's a holding call and it's just, it's just really bad times and it sets the momentum back. So I, I agree with everything you said. The only thing I would add to that, it's not like, you know, our penalty numbers are through the roof, but they're one, some of them are really stupid penalties. If I see another person run into a kicker, I swear to God, I'm going to jump, jump, jump through the screen. And granted, we all know that that was a bad like flag. But after it the, wasn't a good flag. But after the Georgia Tech game with the running into the kicker, like Shabazz should be like, "Hey guys, that's just let's take it off like an easy for a week." Like, and in that position, you don't need to be blocking the that kick. So it's just really um, not not great. Um, you know, um, I guess it's, it's ill timed, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, that they come at the worst times. Think of the Notre Dame touchdown play uh, that got called back, you know, and you got Cunningham out there that caused the first personal foul where he slaps the guy right in the face because he's pushing on him. It's like, what are you doing? Cunningham is a veteran. You know, he's not one of the young guys. He shouldn't be doing stuff like that. And it really cost us. Um, you could say we still had a first down and we should have capitalized on it. We should have. But without that, we're farther down the field. Who knows? But you just can't have that from your veteran players. Just one second half drive went more than 35 yards, and that was the drive where Quincy Patterson had to come in the game when Willis seemed to leave with a concussion. I, Willis got up. He was very woozy. He left the game. He took a shot earlier in the game too, and that might have been why he was inconsistent. I think ever since he took that first hit, the one right to the rib cage, where he seemed like he got the wind knocked out of him, he was never the same after that. Like his his completion percentage, everything was way way down. It might have had nothing to do with it. It might have just been BC's defense changing. But after that hit, <laughs> Willis hit a wall. <laughs> well, it was a rough hit. He got up, and if you watch the the, the clip because I watched it a few times, and I, I don't want to get into the concussion portion of it or and like that. If you watch the clip, like he's like pulling on his like jersey and, you know, he was not in good shape. So um, I don't know if that's the reason, but he's taken a beating. And, um, you know, (laughs) as our quarterbacks seem to do, they they kind of take shots at, um, you know, in really inopportune times. And that was uh, two inopportune times in in the game that really hurt him, I thought. Yeah, he was 25 for 42 for 281 yards another 49 yards rushing, and three total touchdowns. He did have the one interception, but that wasn't his fault. That was due to the bounce off the pads of Hazleton. But 20, th- those numbers in general don't sound very bad, but I think he had 212 yards by halftime and then just 69 yards in the second half. Yeah, and he threw some... It's tough because he threw some really he throws some really great passes and he throws passes that are elite level things that 
I don't know if I saw that often, and I saw it twice in this game. I didn't see it that often from Josh Jackson on that pass to Hazleton, the pass uh, to Kuma for the touchdown to keep those in bounds. Um, you know, he uses his body and he he knows how to stretch the field in terms of he knows when it's third and five and he doesn't see it and he has to go, you know, take the yardage and take the hit. So I, nobody can say you can say he doesn't see the field well. Absolutely. You can say that there's wide open receivers that he's not noticing and he's not re- making the correct reads. You can say he's emotional, but you can't say he's not playing with heart. I mean, and you can't say that he doesn't have a nice touch. Maybe it's just in the red zone, but it is he throws some beautiful passes. He does. And that wrong read and missing open receivers or just not seeing them or not coming off of his read fast enough or just plain being inaccurate. He hit them all in this game. Let's not get it wrong. Like, he did throw some nice passes, and he has thrown nice passes in all the games, and he's been good, but he's still making a lot of mistakes. And I guess that's to be expected. It's his, whatever, fourth or fifth start in a new offense. But it's it's not very pretty, and it's definitely come down multiple notches from when he was first playing, I'd say. French put out a piece today that highlighted some of the stuff, but it's not all on him either. The guys around him are failing to make plays. There's a lot of execution errors on the offensive line, in the receivers, and by the coaches. If we want to talk about play calling, we don't have to get into all of it right now, but it came up, and it's come up multiple times. Fuente addressed it after the game saying, play calling is not the issue, it's play execution. And he then he hedged himself and said, you know, but the coaches have to get the guys in a position to execute the plays, so it's on the coaches more than the players. I just, I am tired of the play calling getting defended because it hasn't been good enough. And beyond just play calling, game management, you know, situational football stuff, whether it's going for it on fourth down, kicking field goals, punting, going for two, whatever, that hasn't been good enough either this year. And again, French's piece highlighted some of that, but we this is stuff we were saying last night on the podcast when we recorded the first time. It's, it hasn't been good enough. I, I know Cornelson is and has been a good offensive coordinator, and Fuente said like he broke 10 school records in his first year here. That's great. It's year three. It's a moderately experienced offense. I know they're playing with the quote-unquote backup quarterback who's got more arm talent, but it should be better. It, it should be better, and there's a lot of offensive coordinators that have one good season, <laughs> and and then they're never the same again. I don't think that's Cornelson. I I I'm not calling for anyone's job. I want to make that clear. I just think it needs to get a lot better. Yeah, I just there are some questionable things that are happening, and um, whether it's Stephen Peoples comes out and has a great you know first half, or and you know everybody's excited about the way that he's running the ball, and then we switch over to you know McLeese in in the second half. It's it's just the at times it's the shakeup for the sake of just shaking things up, which is, is starting to bother me. Like if it's start, if it's working kind of just stick with it for a little bit. And if, but sometimes I think he's like trying to foresee whether like the defense, even before the defense has changed, they're like, Oh man, they got to change because of, we've been successful on this like five times. So they're definitely going to like shut it down. And it's like, We'll try it the sixth time and just see. And when they start to shut it down, then figure out something else. It, right. It's a little bit of overthinking it when you're having success is uh, the best that I can put it in 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 you know in the way that I watch the games and what I see. And I think they're out trying to out well they're outsmarting themselves in some respects. And you kind of just got to stick with what is working. Yeah, and I'll caveat it with BC has a good defense. There's no doubt about it. They they switched things up on us. They were playing two high safeties, kind of begging us to run because Willis was exposing the outside corners, and he was doing a darn good job of it for a while. And then Cornelson kind of went away from it, like you kind of indicated. So there needs to be balance. You need to attack the weaknesses. And you need to be smart enough to know what the weakness is at that moment. It's... The play calls just weren't good. They, they just wasn't good enough. I'm not smart enough of an X's and O's guy to tell you exactly, but I'm, I've watched enough football to know it's not good enough. Yeah, and it, there's just other small things, which Dalton Keene is now 10 for 11 for 191 yards. 
I understand that he's opening up other opportunities. They're using it him as opportune at opportune times, but n- nobody should have a 91% completion percentage because you should be passing to them more. Like it should, re- it should revert down to the median to like, and even if it's like 80 or something like that, use them more. I mean, they have a, they have a great thing going between those two. And in fact, the lowest completion percentage that's on the entire team of like the top seven is Hazelton at 52%. It's of that. And so, and, and I love Hazelton. Don't get me wrong. And he is a, a star in the making and he's going to do wild things with his career, but he should be higher and Keen should be lower. Like right. in- you should spread the wealth around a little bit more and get a few more targets in Keen's direction and, that's one of the problems with Willis too. He focuses a little too much on his first read, which is normally Hazelton, and it's resulted in that you know poor completion percentage to him. I would say that the O line did not have a good game. That's a tough defensive line. They were winning a lot of def- a lot of fiscal battles in the trenches against our O line, uh, which was part of the reason we were having trouble running the ball in the in the second half. Uh, but the pass catchers were good as a whole. You mentioned Keen Grimsley had six catches. Hazelton and Kuma had the touchdowns. Turner had another touchdown. Peoples and McLeese both had 27-yard receptions. So there was a little bit of the spread going on. Um, I don't know. The Hazelton interception drop for the second time this year was bad. Mm. Just our players are making so many mistakes. There are just so many mistakes every week and they're unique every week it's like oh here's a new mistake i didn't even know we could come up with well yeah you go from snaps to false starts to you know uh you know the cunningham penalty which i actually thought was relatively funny until we lost because you know he was getting pushed around and then decided to get chippy back which if you're up by a lot and you think you're going to win the game i wouldn't have faulted him but it ended up being pretty damaging um, you know, there, there's a, just a million things from personal fouls that keep happening that we're finding new ways to, um, cause problems for ourselves. I totally agree. And it flips to the other side of the ball. So I, I want to get over to the defense because I, yeah, I think they deserve a lot of credit, but we're finding ways on both sides of the ball week in and week out to, to damage ourselves in different ways. But let's get into, you know, the performance that the great defense had. Yeah, the defense was led by the linebackers, and it really was an inspired performance that made me very proud. Uh, A little bit of vintage Virginia Tech effort we saw, and they weren't helped at all by the offense, which made it more impressive. They held A.J. Dillon to under 100 yards, though they did have 219 rushing yards overall. It's still, I was okay with it because they were under their averages. They were under 400 yards for the game as a team. And when you're playing with second strings and you have to go out in the field after three plays over and over and over again in the second half, I couldn't have asked for more from this defense. Yeah, I mean, they took um, everything that happened to the, in the GT game and to heart and really came out there. And, uh, you know, a lot of those guys have not had much playing time, not a lot of experience outside of, you know, just being on the ones and twos in practice. And they went out there and they, they gave them they gave him hell for a, a, a duo of running backs between it, we thought it was just AJ Dillon. And then we come to realize that AJ Dillon and Trey Levy is just, it's, is not nearly as talented, but just as good in, in production. He only had, you know, his most yardage for the year was 40 against UMass. And between the two of them, they put up 171 yards and somehow I walk away from that going, yeah, well, that that's a good performance. Like you can win a game <laughs> that way. Um, and I'm being serious, not like facetious about that. Like that, that's a good performance with a healthy AJ Dillon and the way that we shut down the run game. I mean, or I mean the pass game. Um, you know, Anthony Brown had one passing TD, had 177 yards. Um, a lot of those yards came from uh, 61 of them came from Sweeney, who who we all knew was kind of just. His, his that's his safety valve like that's where when he he checks down to to him and that's a big target with good hands and a big body that can kind of steamroll people and that's what he did in the game so 161 of the 177 come from him is not surprising but outside of that not not that much and you had the way that kearney played hollyfield diablo these guys came in and just played like rock stars oh my god the linebackers were so good and it gets you so excited too because you got kearney 
who's a redshirt freshman, 18 tackles at Mike. First start there. Diablo starts at whip, 14 tackles for him, one for a loss. He's got less than a year of experience playing in games. Dax, true freshman at backer, 10 tackles. It was really unbelievable. And the linebacker depth now, no Hashby, no Rivers, and you put that type of production on the field, this is – and you got Keyshawn Artis somewhere back there. Tisdale, you know, we lost him in the offseason, uh, the freshman. But th- there's a lot of talent in that linebacking pool, and now they're all getting experience. I mean, what we're going to benefit from down the road from these injuries is tons of depth. Yeah. And and that's really exciting. Can you imagine what Dax is going to be like his no. junior and senior year? It's gonna he's going to be amazing. And you know, they they and those are positions at the linebacking position. It's just linebacker. You just got to you got to see everything differently, right? Like it's not you got to scope and figure out and understand what the play is, what you're going up against, and and have a lot of communication between each other, um, even into the backfield. So. Um, and the defensive backs. So it's just, it's awesome to see them get on the field, produce, but it's even more exciting just to see them get out there and get experience because like you said, it's that, that linebacking core is going to be nasty um, in a year from now, or, yeah. you know, even two years from now with how much experience they're all getting. And it's unfortunate and I don't wish injuries on anybody. Um, but sometimes we're just kind of looking, you know, at the glass half full in, in what could benefit the team from, from some of the unfortunate things that have happened. They tackled amazingly well. Everyone was moving to the football, gang tackling. They, they just really impressed me, and that's the effort we really needed to see. We, we both wanted them to show us something going into these final few games. We didn't pull off the win in what was a winnable game, but it wasn't on the D this time. It was on the offense and the way they disappeared. They hung their D out to dry. They gave... Boston College two short fields, which led to the late TDs, and you know the defense did all they could, and I, I was proud of them. And um, if it wasn't for just all the screw ups and the offense disappearing, I, I just felt like we were the better team. It was the it was the moment where we could have won that game. But BC is a veteran team, and veteran teams tend to win those games that could go either way. So I'll ask you to sum things up as a question. Um, that I didn't ask you last night, and then we can move on and, and do a beer break and get into pit. Would you rather it be the way that it is now, that one week the offense struggles, but the defense plays well, and then next week the defense struggles and the offense plays well? Or would you like it that the team struggles collectively and plays terribly, and then the next week they all have their act together and then play well? So how's that for a question yeah. for you? Well, I know I what my answer is. But. I think I would want the uh, the latter, but it depends on the matchup <laughs> because depending on like for like for instance Georgia Tech's playing Miami this week. Miami's got a great defense. Georgia Tech's got a terrible defense, and Miami's been struggling on offense. But I think that matchup is great for Miami because Miami's going to be able to score because anyone can score on Georgia Tech, and their defense will probably keep the triple option in check. So. It, it would depend on the matchup. But yeah, I'd prefer them all to play well at once like they did in the Duke game. <laughs> right. Well, the Duke game is what that's that's the example. But then, uh, you know, that that's something that was coming because we've never been in this. They've never really been in this much of a situation where it's Jekyll and Hyde, where one week, you know, one side struggling. Usually mm-hmm. the defense is like, kind of your baseline and then you and then and then your ebbs and flows kind of go off of that so i think it's putting us all collectively as a fan base in like a weird spot that we're trying to struggle and kind of grasp uh and put our arms around but that was that was just something that came to mind after thinking about how some of the weeks have gone lately yeah to finalize things before we do the beer break the bull streak is very much in question now due to this loss uh, we're still in control of our own destiny in the coastal, which is, you know, everyone's ragging on the coastal and it's deserved because you could have a team that's 500 win the damn thing. Georgia Tech, if they beat Miami this weekend, I mean, they could still win the coastal. It's, it's, uh, it's just terrible. But <laughs> I say all that to say, oddly, I feel better about the team today than I did a week ago after Georgia Tech because I still hadn't seen any fight from the defense you know, in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I saw the fight I wanted to see, that, that we can actually win a game. Because if there was no fight from the defense, it's like, we're not winning anything. Because now the offense is shutting down, whatever. 
I saw something from the defense to get the offense back on track, you know, clean it up, clean up the mistakes. You could win your last three games. You could also lose all three. It, this, you, it's a key point in the season. We said it about last week, but it doesn't go away because it just becomes all the more critical. We are at risk of having the worst season in 25 years. Well, okay. You need to get it together. <laughs> Everything needs to be questioned. I, you know, people will say you can't question Fuente. Or, you know, you, what are you going to hate on him? You're going to fire him? No, I'm. I'm just simply questioning and criticizing because we pay money for tickets and we pay tuition and we go to games and all this stuff. We're allowed to question. I'm not calling for anyone's job, but this coaching staff just deserves criticism for where we're at this year. We've played two good teams, precisely two good teams. We obviously lost to both of them, but we lost to two bad teams as well. Yeah, I mean it's fair. That's and for anybody saying that you're not allowed to, you know, criticize the team, it's it's called it's just measured criticism until it becomes unmeasured criticism, and that's usually when um, you your team is just not performing to a level that most people think it should be. Right now, we're just at the normal. Hey, it, it came up. I mean, we're not the only ones talking about this okay at the press conference you know the beat writers brought this up the play calling like usually the beat writers kind of just are tone deaf to what the fans are being irrational about is is the general um look of things it got brought up like the play calling got brought up i think it was like three times in terms of what it was and that led to the answers that they had and you're allowed to question things And, and when you when things go unquestioned then people just get free reign to do whatever the hell they want. And that that's just right. not right. Like we're all held accountable. Period. I'm held accountable at my job. And guess what? My 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 donations, my tuition, your money, everything goes into Virginia Tech. Um, and guess what? It gets paid to him. He's held accountable too. So like there there's this this bullshit like theme that you can't question. Whether or not like you can be irrational is a different argument, but you can't question is just wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. And and it's, to say like, hey, I don't know if I really agree with the play calling because you lost to ODU and you lost to BC in a game that was winnable and you had you should have lost to UNC. Yeah, you should have <laughs> lost to UNC. You can just say like, yeah, it's a young team, but the play calling we don't really agree with, and these are the players that you recruited. It's year three. Yeah. These are your players. So, and you but, can't stand behind the young anymore. I'm t- the young players doesn't even stand up for me on offense. You can say backup quarterback BS. You know, I I know Willis has made mistakes, but like there there's like eleven guys on offense that have been at this school for three years. So I don't want to hear young. I, I'm tired of hearing young. It it was game eight. Next week is game nine of a season in which most of these kids are in year three. So I'm done with it. Josh I'm done ja- with hearing the excuses. Josh Jackson's stats, fine. I I do them all. Go to my website, like our, our website, I should say. Virginia Tech, look at our stats. His stats, Willis's stats, are almost exactly the same as Josh Jackson's. So if anybody's pulling the backup card, that is complete bullshit. Like, go look at it. They are, I, calcu- I calculate from right. I mean, all three years, they're exactly the same. to check out the stats. The, and if you want to say Josh is better at the read and whatever, it's it's possible. And it might even be true. I'm okay. not sure. We didn't see enough of Josh this year. But does Josh make this offense with the current play calling a standard deviation better than it is now? Because he can't make the, some of those touchdown passes that Willis is throwing. So he probably doesn't improve it by a standard deviation. So it still wouldn't be good enough. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for the tangent. No, but I like, think, yeah, I think, I think we should take a beer but break. It's, it's, it's time for a beer break. But I, I think it's a cr- true point, which is you and I will never be in that camp that we're like oh, calling for a coach's head. But we will be in the camp that we're kind of questioning things. And that's mm-hmm. healthy. For any organization, for any function, to question what you're doing and whether you're doing it right is 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 a good thing. Yeah. I want to know what you're drinking. I'm drinking the most uh, strange beer that I've ever had, only because of how it played out. Uh, so it's called Golden Voice. It had a microphone on it. It's Center of the Universe Brewing Company, which um, you may be familiar with. They're starting to get distributed um, a little bit more broadly. It's a golden double IPA, but it had DC 101. If you're uh, native to the, you know, DC, Maryland, Virginia area, you know, DC 101 radio. 
And on the back, it's like, it's Elliot in the morning. Uh, and it's got this whole like kind of thing. So I think it's kind of tied in with Elliot in the morning. Maybe he's sponsoring it. I don't, I don't even know. I haven't listened to Elliot in the morning since I was like probably 10 years. I don't know if he's still on DC one one Um, but it's actually a pretty good beer. I, and granted, it's center of the universe. They do the chameleon. They do a lot of good beers. So I'm not surprised about that. It was just startling because I just picked it off the shelf. It looked kind of cool. And uh, somehow I just kept reading the label while we were getting ready for this. <laughs> it does look cool. I like that can. Uh, center of the universe is the one that does the Pocahoptus too. Yeah, right? I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, It's that time of year, man. Pocahoptus, almost Thanksgiving. Uh, that's right. So, Pete, what are you drinking? I am drinking the Anchor Gold. Anchor Brewing out of San Francisco, California. Smooth and easy is how it's described on the can. It's got a beautiful blue and gold can. It's just your standard gold lager, 4% alcohol, a little bit low. I think even Bud Light gives you the 4.2. So um, I guess they were concentrating on making this easy drinking, and it is. It's just... I'd honestly rather have a Budweiser than the Sanker Gold. And and maybe, maybe that's uh, me being a bit of a redneck or something, but I do love Budweiser. This Sanker Gold, it's all right. It's, you know, I, I wanted it just a little bit more. I bought it because I thought the can was cool, and I do love a good golden lager. It's, it just goes down really easy. And, and I will say that this does, but got to give me more than 4%, man. <laughs> I think you like some of the beers that we have on here, you could have like, three or four of those like if you're drinking like a, a oh a, i know if you're yeah. drinking like a 120 minute from dogfish head i think you could drink four of those um uh and have it be the same as one one and the dogfish will will literally like go to your brain whereas <laughs> like some of these lagers you can drink them all night you're not gonna like get woozy or you know feel kind of drunk or anything mm. You'll just get you know tired, but with the with the if you drink two 120 minutes like you're down for the count oh you're done Let's hop right into Pittsburgh. You know, I should put a clock on this since we kind of rambled on a little bit. I want to put a stopwatch on this. We're going to do 10 minutes on Pittsburgh because this is a very straightforward team and we shouldn't have to spend too much time. I'm going to start the clock now. So Pittsburgh, 3.30, Saturday, November 10th. We're going to Heinz Field, which historically has been a house of horrors. We have won one game there since 1999. We haven't played every other year because there was the years where we left the biggies. It's been a bunch of games, though, and we've only won one. And that was two years ago when Gerard Evans was throwing the ball up to our wide receivers, and we had a heck of a night. This year, Pittsburgh is in first place in the Coastal. Although they're only 5-4, and four, they are 4-1 and one in the ACC play, and they beat UVA last weekend, and they kind of beat them down. Yeah, they... Um... No, it was a beatdown. It was a, a combination of things that, um, you know, Perkins came down to earth, I think, for UVA, understandably. But I think that was also a testament to what, you, you know, Pittsburgh was doing on, on defense a little bit in that game. But Darren Hall just went absolutely crazy on that with 229 yards, three TDs on 19 carries. Um, he replaced, you know, Quadri, who had been leading the team, uh, he had 119 100, uh, against PSU, 192 against Syracuse, 149 against Duke. And then Darren Hall basically just came out and was like, no, give me the ball. That's, it's my turn to take over. And uh, in, a, in a bad weather game, he looked, he looked fantastic. And I think it was really a testament to what Darren Hall did. Because other than that, if you look across the stat board, there's almost nothing else to pick out in on the pit side or UVA side that can give you any indication of where they're at uh, right now and why that happened given UVA was playing so well. Yeah, I'd say Pitt is decidedly mediocre, but they do have that power running game. And whether it's Olison or Hall, we'll, we'll probably see both. I think they were riding the hot hand last game, giving Hall a bunch of carries. That was one of the most carries he's had all season. And he went off. But that 229-yard mark is interesting because that's what Pitt averages as a team every game, just about 231 yards. So it's a run-first team. It doesn't always go well for them. They got killed by Penn State. They got killed by UCF, which I guess you would expect those two results. But they lost to UNC, who only has one win on the season. They beat Georgia Tech. They beat Syracuse, which was their most impressive game. And they beat Duke in a shootout. 
Their only loss in September has been to Notre Dame, and that was 14-19, to a game that was much closer than people thought it would be. So they seem to be improving, but I would still say they're mediocre. I mean, if you look at the way the season went, like they caught Syracuse the week after Syracuse had the close call against Clemson. So they get them coming down a bit. I, um, I, I think it's they're secretly decent, as Solid Verbal would put it. They're, they're just okay. I don't think they're measurably better than us. And if you look at S&P Plus, they're 71. We're 61, yeah. I believe. So by the advanced metrics, we're slightly better than them. If nothing else, it's a team that we're on par with. It's just that can we contain that power running game? Yeah, and in making sure that Kenny Pickett doesn't just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, decide to start playing well. I mean, he was seven for 14. He had 61 yards passing in that game. I understand the weather and it, it's, it's just, it's, it's tough to see. Um, somehow teams have a way and we don't even know who the starting quarterback will be because we don't, we don't face starting quarterbacks. We, we face backup quarterbacks. Evidently. Yeah. We're going to see Ricky town in this one. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I struggle with this pit team. They do seem to be improving. I don't think that they're measurably better than us. In fact, I look at us versus BC in the last game, and I would say that those are two teams that are on par, uh, it, honestly. And um, and I would say, you know, Pitt, it's sad to say, but GT is probably a, a slightly below, but they just knew how to manhandle us. But you look at some of these the teams between UVA, us, Pitt, BC, these teams that we're playing, it's a shootout every week. You know, I, I for me, or like a toss up every week. Yeah, 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 I would, I would, it would be a pick'em for me if I was like betting on realistically on any of these games. And I Pitt is no different, except uh, I, I am a little bit worried if they start running the ball because the one thing that we don't have, which did actually factor into this game, is we're not getting sacks. And we're not getting tackles for a loss in in the way that we typically do for as right. a Virginia Tech defense. So they had a great performance, absolutely. But we're not getting into the backfield with power and speed in, in, in the way that we usually do, in the way that I usually visualize a Virginia Tech defense. And when you're not doing that, um, it can make us, us susceptible to you know three-yard chunks again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And Grinding us down. That's tough. Yeah. Just to round out what they have on offense, George Aston at fullback. There was actually just an article about him in the Post-Gazette. He is essentially the Sam Rogers of Pitt. He was a walk-on, and he's like a determined guy. And French described him as a far better blocking version of Sam Rogers, which is kind of a scary thought. That's one of the reasons that this team has been able to run the ball so good is because of Aston. Their offensive line is eh, but the fullback really makes a big difference for them. He also has 14 receptions on the year and a touchdown. Two years ago, Aston had 10 TDs, five rushing, five receiving. So he can be dangerous. So that's someone to watch. The quarterback, I'm not particularly worried about. Pickett has had his good games, but he had, he's had more bad games. And when he's bad, he's really bad. There are moments of brilliance, but they're not, they're not long enough for me to really get too, too worried, despite the issues we have in the backfield. The receivers you got for French, he's back. He's he's a good player for them. You got a Raher Lopes, who's the possession guy, and you got Tazir Mack. There's also a guy named Shockey Jock Lewis, which I just thought was the funniest <laughs> name, but he doesn't have too many catches. It's just a mediocre receiving core. He Picky can't get to the the ball to them consistently. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. And their leading wide receiver in that game was Aaron Matthews with one reception, 31 yards. I mean, that's got to be the worst stat line I've ever seen. So that basically he had really 30 yards of, of passing and distributing the ball. I think the, the other thing that came to light for me in watching and thinking about where they stand and how they've improved and, um, and measuring them against UVA, which I think was a pretty good team and has beaten really good teams. There's a couple things to remember. So UVA had 10 penalties, inopportune penalties at bad times, which isn't good. That's not to say that we won't either because that's something that we need to clean up. No, we can, yeah. Yeah, five sacks, seven and a half tackles for a loss. UVA went 0 for 2 on fourth down, and uh, Pitt went 2 for 2 on fourth down at, at really opportune times. So, you know, I'm not saying that that would have flipped the game on its head, and plus the weather, 
this is going to be a different beast than what we just saw last weekend. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not so sure yet, but it's not going to be the same game that you just saw take the field it last just, week. It further emphasizes your point that these games are all a coin toss. They, they're it, when it comes to UVA and Georgia Tech and us and and uh, Duke and Pitt. Like it's, I don't know who's going to win any of these games. Like and and no one does. Like week to week, it changes so drastically. So we'll see. I feel good if we can if we can slow the run down at least a little bit and and, and bring it in and make pick it like have to throw. It'll be similar to BC. We'll have a chance. We'll have a chance. Well, our defense will give us a chance to win the game, and I'm pretty confident in that. Let's move over to their defense. This is a defense that is 98th in yards per play. It's 87th in the S&P+. It's really bad against the pass yet again. I think this is the third year, fourth year in a row. Uh, Narduzzi not having a good defense and particularly a bad pass defense. So this lines up well with our strength. (laughs) Again, we should have Willis you know, throwing to his weapons on the outside because I'm not seeing anything that is scaring me about this pit defense, particularly against the pass. I know. And that, and that's also what kind of frightens me because every time we go up against somebody with bad, bad backfield and defensive backs, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like we're able to execute as well as we, we can, but I, I agree. Um, I, I would like to see, um, in this particular game, us to, the, the number of there's been a lot of commentary about the number of screen passes and things like that and statistically I, I track whether like everything that's you know before or beyond the line of scrimmage basically trying to bifurcate between what's a screen pass and what isn't and I've tracked it for all three years and it's not measurably different that I can I, I can dictate um, other than the fact that it's become kind of it seems like it's become the go-to for us so i think on in this game we need to open the open it up a little bit and and stick with the pass if it's working and adjust if it's not working right good and i don't know i think there this this pit defense is going to have a little bit more success against our run offense than they will against the pass is is what i've seen in the stats and what i'm looking at and, and everything that i've seen yeah, I think they probably will. But as I was tweeting during the game against BC, I still wanted us to see us run more. And whether that was using Quincy Patterson, like bringing him in and just having him power some runs or whatever you got to do to create balance and throw the defense off because passing constantly is probably not going to work and running into the line over and over again doesn't yield dividends all the time. And I don't want to see a bunch of crisscrossing the field misdirection bullshit that I see way too much out of Fuente's offense sometimes. It's like, can we just do something? Like, yeah. let's stop. You know, we used to love how he would like kind of set the other team up. And I felt like he was doing that in BC, but then I never saw the result. So just, you know, conviction in your play calling, in your plays, the way you execute them. Let's see some conviction because there's not much in the linebacking core. There's not much on the line. The, the The defensive backs have been very bad in terms of opposing passer rating. The only thing that Pitt does good is they create havoc. They've got 15 forced fumbles on the year, and we have been prone to put it on the ground. So let's be careful with the football because this team will try to knock it out of your hands, apparently. 15 forced fumbles is quite a bit through, uh, through nine games. On special teams... Um, should we round out the special teams here and just yeah. to finish it off? Uh, they're 61st in S&P Plus, so right down the middle. But they have three returns for touchdowns, two by French and one by Araujo Lopes. So the coverage team needs to be on their P's and Q's. Yeah. How many Australian punters do they have? <laughs> I don't know. Do they have one? <laughs> I don't think so, but we have one, so we're good. I I, I feel good about our specialty. And I, I bring that up as a joke, but uh, Brad Bird has been fantastic uh, he's still doing work yeah us. well he had a 71 yard punt the, the other day so it's uh it's pretty incredible some of the things that he's been able to do for us so i love it i think our smp plus ranking in special teams is only brought up by our punter and our guy who does the kickoffs kicking it into the end zone every time <laughs> like the, that's where because we're like 38th but we haven't done anything on special teams we missed a bunch of field goals so it's got to be just from the punts and the kicking for the touchbacks there's no return yards on our kickoffs zero I, I i bet if you look up the stat we might have zero return yards because 
there's there's only one truth and uh, that I have about this team. We are not going to let somebody return a kick uh, ever. Like that is he. We kick it out of the end zone every single time, it, and I love it. That's <laughs> I know what you it's, do. it's great. It's amazing. Every team can't find a guy to do that. <laughs> Let's do one more beer break. We're at the 13 minute mark, so we went a little bit over, but that's not too bad. Let's do one more beer break before we do our final thoughts and picks. So, Pete, what are you drinking? I am drinking Aslan How Now Brown Cow. It's a milk stout with coffee and maple. My sister was down there recently in, in, in Dulles area, and she picked up like five different Aslins for me, and I'm psyched about it. And this How Now Brown Cow Stout is awesome. And you can really taste the maple, which it's subtle enough that it's not annoying, but you can still really taste it. And I I love this beer, man. 6% alcohol. It's, it's a good cold weather beer. And it is just like jet black in the glass, like very little foam, just completely jet black, and it tastes so good. Yeah. How now, brown cow? That's one of uh, Aslan's uh, finest. Uh, that's that's been around for a little bit. They've kind of one of their staples. They usually rotate a ton of beers, but that one they've uh, they've come back to a few times, probably because I've never had it, but most likely because it's so good. I've heard about it a bunch, so that's awesome. I'm drinking. Uh, what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking uh, a Marshmallow Eyes IPA, <laughs> which uh, I, you can imagine what's probably in it. It's a Commonwealth Brewing Company beer. I'm going with uh, some of the beers that I know I like during this depressing loss uh, week. So I'm hoping next week I can just get into some some new test beers. But it's six and one, six point one percent, and it's delicious i'm not getting a ton of marshmallow flavor out of it and the way the commonwealth always does their beers is they basically put nothing other than design on the label so you don't really get a description what's in there so i can only go off the name uh it's delicious though it's a really nice ipa um and kind of smooth and the marshmallows certainly not overpowering i don't know if i can get any of the sweetness of it but it's it's a good beer Awesome. I do like the can on that one too. All right. So the line for Virginia Tech pit is two and a half to the home team pit being the favorite. We were just talking about how we hate picking the Virginia Tech line because I don't know. We do all this analysis on the game. We obviously want to root for Virginia Tech. So maybe next year we'll get rid of picking the Virginia Tech line every week. But for the rest of this year, we will close it out. And if anyone really likes us picking against the spread for Tech, maybe we'll keep it going. But it's just it feels funny because right now I'm just debating. Like we just talked about everything Tech has to do to win the game, and it's like okay, I'm going to take Pitt. And it's like it's just like yeah. it, it. I don't want to kill the buzz of like our listeners, and because we're always positive too. Like I absolutely think we can win this game, but going to Heinz Field, playing a power team, a very physical team. It's not an easy task. There are some opportunities for our offense. Pitt is it's still mediocre, despite the fact they're in first place, four and one in the ACC, whatever. They're a mediocre team. They're a beatable team, a very beatable team who just played a tough game in the rain. So they're probably a little bit, you know, banged up just like we are. I know they lost two of their best players on defense throughout the season already. I really want to take Virginia Tech against the spread. I I really I really do, but it's just two and a half. And so I'm in a tough spot. Do you want to give your pick first? Yeah. I I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. I'm going to have to go with Pitt. And the other reason I want to take it off the table is I, I legitimately bet. Like, I, I honestly bet. And I usually bet the way that I pick. Um, but my Virginia Tech bets that I actually put real money down, like significant money down on, um, I usually go by emotion and it's usually like an hour before the game or like two hours (laughs) before the game. And I don't want to be giving out picks, you know, in the future on, on stuff that I'm going the opposite direction on one of my picks. I like made a killing on and it was picking Virginia tech and I had picked the opposite way. Like, so that here I'm picking Pitt. Yeah. Cause the mind changes throughout the week. And and sometimes like I'm the same way. If I'm betting real money, I like to bet on Saturday. Like I like to bet Saturday to like to really see how I'm feeling day of and cause things just change throughout the week and whatever else. But 
against the two and a half. Did you give your pick? Pick Pitt. I'm picking. Okay. I don't like. I'm going to take Virginia like Tech. Oh, you're. Kidding. I'm, I'm going to take Virginia Tech. <laughs> I, I just I do I do see the opportunity for us to win the game and just like last week we are we are up against the wall. We've played good on the road. Our two best wins have come on the road. So um I don't like Heinz Field. I I don't like Narduzzi. It's gonna be a hard fought rock fight, fist fight kind of game. But uh yeah, I'm gonna take tech against the two and a half. We'll see what happens. Next game, Wake at NC State. NC State number 14 in the college football playoff rankings, 17 and a half point favorites against the Demon Deacons. Wake has not had a good season so far. It's been but bad. But I do think they can cover 17 and a half against a team that is their rival in NC State. Yeah, I'm picking Wake in this game. I think it'll it'll be it might be 17. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that they will uh, they'll cover the 17 now. Next game, Louisville at Syracuse. Yikes. <laughs> Syracuse <laughs> is really good this year. Um, I'm, I'm going to say that. They're actually really good this year. They're 21-point favorites. Louisville is so bad. I can't believe. I know we didn't put it on our board, but I can't believe that I even picked Louisville against Clemson. I, it was 38 and a half, which is preposterous, but I feel like an idiot for taking them, uh, even hypothetically. Oh, you didn't like my tweet when they uh, when Clemson almost <laughs> covered it in the first half? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, these people have families. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm taking Q's. Yeah, I got to take Q's. Uh, Petrino's lost the team. That's all I can yeah, say. It's it's over. He's getting fired. He's lost the team. He's it's just over. How does it get this bad this fast? I mean, two years ago you had Lamar Jackson fighting Clemson to the final whistle. Yeah, look, and, but they also and, during that time frame they also while they were doing really well didn't they? I was listening to a podcast and it's going to blank on my mind, but they lost like their offensive coordinator because nobody wants to work with that asshole. Like Petrino is well, they, an they, asshole. They've lost a lot of coaches. Yeah, and obviously. I've said before, every year that Charlie Strong was gone, the defense got worse. They hired Brian Van Gorder, which, like, that guy just keeps getting jobs and he keeps sucking. Yeah. Like, he's the worst defensive coordinator yeah. around. And so, what else do you expect, I guess? Yeah. So, yeah, he deserves to get fired and yeah, good, good, good riddance to him because he's not a good person. Next game UNC at Duke, the old rivalry, but in football. Duke is a 10-point favorite at home. Go first this time. Um, This is tough. I'm going to stupidly take Duke. Yeah, I'm going to take Duke. Um, I, It's at home, and um, Fedora, uh, in case you didn't know, uh, Fedora's getting fired too. Um, I'll put my... Yeah. So he's, he's gone, he, but he's yeah. held the reins on like losing the players thus far. True. Um. But um, if anybody thinks he's not getting fired, you happen to be very mistaken because he's gone. So I think that's the reins that he's held intact are going to quickly diminish on him as he gets through uh, the year. The end of the year. Yeah, at least UNC is playing with with fight. Like they they fight teams to the end. We saw that in our game. They have a terrible record, but they are a little bit better than that record at the least. And in a rivalry game, I want to take the 10 points. Taking UNC. Next game, Miami at Georgia Tech. I was talking about this game earlier. Georgia Tech is the favorite by three, but I'm taking Miami, and I think they're going to win outright. Yeah, that's probably a good pick. I'm going to take Georgia Tech, um, and I'm not really certain why, and I said this. In fact, the exact same thing I said last night when we went through all our picks is – I I shouldn't because I think the triple option against Miami's stout defense is going to be troublesome, but I think it might wear them down a bit. And Miami, I'm not sure they know how to score more than like 14 points or 17 points in any given game. So uh, I think Georgia Tech might find a way to scrounge up, I don't know, 21 or 24. That's fair. Next game, Florida State at Notre Dame. Man, Florida State has had a rough ride lately. Notre Dame in the college football playoff if the season ended today, 18 point favorites. 
I'm taking Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm taking Notre Dame as well. I don't think this is really that. I mean, especially up touchdown Jesus, and it's going to, I think this could turn into a bloodbath uh, pretty quickly. And Notre Dame is, I told you, you know, when we talked about this, that people are saying, like, if Notre Dame goes undefeated, they're not going to make the playoff. And I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, okay, so now they they clean up because Stanford sucks and because Virginia Tech wasn't as good and because of all, like, that now you're just dictating that Power 5 teams uh, that are beating up on people and they beat Michigan, by the way, Michigan. Yeah. So. It's just, and they got a, a quality opponent in Syracuse coming up. That game could actually be pretty good. It's funny how things work out and that like Florida State and Notre Dame, um, you know, Florida State and Virginia Tech rather, like that's those aren't the good games. It's it's Syracuse now is like the tough game. USC, yeah, no, they're not good. Syracuse could get you a quality win to go into the playoff. It's kind of crazy. That's why I'm rubbing my hands for this next one and getting ready. All right. Last game we're going to pick. We're not picking any games outside the ACC because there's not anything appetizing. Uh, and this is where game day is going. Clemson at Boston College. Oh, I, my. <laughs> I just um, – I don't – at least, you know, there's hope for Boston College that they could maybe pull off this upset and win not only the Atlantic but potentially win the ACC. <laughs> like that that's on the table if 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 they were able to pull off this win. I don't think it's going to happen. It's a 20 point spread and I'm taking Clemson. I'm 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 going to take I'm going to take BC. It's stupid uh, and no, not to win. But I mean, I would never do that. Okay. I mean, yeah. uh, well the the plus minus on um, Clemson has been like 205 points. They just broke the ACC record, like for the most points that they've have a plus minus on. And yeah, they've they've outscored opponents by 205 points. The last person or the last team to do that was uh, Jameis Winston's FSU. It was like 174 points. So that came out on Twitter today. So they and they did they outdid that by 30 points. And uh, I mean, they're putting up crazy numbers, man. And it's- he's a freshman. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. And so, no, but I think Boston College will just like, I don't know, keep it within. I think they'll cover 20. That's all I think. And that's just going to be a motion and them like kind of sliding out to the front at the first half. It's sleepy. Well, that's actually, it's going to go the other way because it's not going to be sleepy. They're actually going to have, it's going to be packed. There. Like it's game day. It's a night game. It's Clemson. Like I actually love it when these, old school Northeast teams have a reason to be at the games because the crowd gets drunk and fired up. And it's like really fun to watch. Like I think watching it on TV, like it should be really good cinema to see, to watch at least the beginning of the game before, before Clemson maybe puts the hurting on them. But I hear you. I, I think they could cover. Mm. I just think that Clemson will out muscle them. And even if Boston college puts up some points early, uh, Clemson will, be three scores better. If nothing else, listen, game day going there is awesome. I, I mean, I went yeah. to BC for grad school. It's the Chestnut Hills, gorgeous. The campus, upper portion of the campus is absolutely astounding to look at. It's going to be visually just like awesome. And, uh, I, you know, I went to games there. I, that's going to be, that's going to be, I think, really exciting for that fan base and exciting for Adazio. I mean, that's, uh, look what he's done. I mean, it's just, he's, he's kind of rolled off all these six win seasons like repeatedly in a program that has no business competing. They can't recruit, they can't do anything, but they find a way to put together a good offensive line, a good defensive line and a good bunch of good linebackers. And they're like, Hey, let's go win games. So I'm excited for them. They, they deserve it. Yeah. It should be a lot of fun. All right, man, that's it for picks. If for the podcast, I, I, I'm, you know, I don't know how we do this every week, and maybe it's just because we're more removed from the game. Because I remember at the end of last game, I was like, no matter what happens, I am not taking Virginia Tech against the spread. <laughs> As I said that to myself, I'm like, no matter what happens, you must take Pitt. And it comes to be Thursday, and I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm going to take Virginia Tech because I, I, I see it. And I haven't taken Virginia Tech every week, but. Yeah, I just, we have to come off this schneid. And I liked what I saw from the D. I think we can do enough to win. I really hope we do because 
I don't want to win the coastal um, for the only because I don't want to play Clemson and get murdered. That's my my. Take I want to win the along. coastal <laughs> to say we won the coastal and used it for recruiting and down the road and you know all that kind of stuff. But I don't want to actually play the game. Like if we could, no, just we're going to get dismantled on live TV again in prime time, and we do not need that. I, we don't need another prime time loss. So I want to, yeah. I want to gracefully bow out as as gracefully <laughs> as we can. Like. I'm thinking, and people are going to be so upset about this. I don't really care. Guess what? It's our podcast. Like, uh, I've said this for like weeks now. I say it to you. you have, I've said you it have. to Joe Lanza all the time. I say it to every. I was like, we need to just gracefully, like, kind of like, like land this ship on the aircraft carrier as like we're crash landed as softly as possible. Like, win the UVA and game. Get to next year. Yeah. Maybe we win pit. Oh, I don't know how we would do this. Win. I don't know if we can land it anymore. Like we're going to find our way into the championship game. If we have to keep the bowl streak alive and beat UVA that I think that re- that requires us to, uh, we would if have we to lose beat Miami the pit and then win the next two games. Yeah. We wouldn't win the coastal. Yeah, so that's what we'd have to do. So we have to lose to pit and uh, beat Miami but, and UVA, which everybody's probably like so pissed off at me, but I just want to like, kind of like sunset this season very gracefully go into a bowl game have fun beat uva and then not get trounced like 70 to 3 against clemson they are destroying teams they are watch that watch any of their games they are dismantling teams. Yeah. It is. I, I don't really want a part of that but I do want to win the coastal but you know what all of that's a little presumptive we need to win a freaking game like we need to get over 500 again. So let's go out. Let's beat Pitt. Like, like we hate Pitt. Like I freaking hate Pitt. Like I hate them worse than I hate Miami. Really. Like I really dislike Pitt. It's winnable. Uh, go out there and win it. And if that would make our next weekend when we go down to Blacksburg and hopefully hanging out with some of our listeners, uh, make it a lot better. That's true. So let, let's hope that happens. All right, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at two dvt. 2DVT on Instagram, 2DVT.com is the website, and 2DVT at gmail.com is where you can email us. And make sure, if you're going to be in Blacksburg for the Miami game, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. Let us know where you're at. We'll put out some tweets, maybe do some Instagram live stuff. Uh, it should be fun regardless of how the season's going because Blacksburg is just a lot of fun. It's fun to get drunk. And we'll bring, uh, um, we'll make sure to bring a bunch of beer koozies as well that we give out yes, to everybody. We're handing out koozies. For sure. All right. And until next time, when, again, I hope we're talking about a win, go Hokies. <laughs>